Last week in our story of Joseph, he'd just been thrown into jail for being awesome at his job and for being handsome. An unfair situation, but God was with him. Now as time went on, it happened that the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt upset their boss and had themselves thrown into jail, with none other than Joseph being assigned to look after them. A bit like a buddy system in jail, eh? Now one night the king's cupbearer and the baker both had a dream. And when Joseph arrived in the morning, he noticed that they were feeling a bit low, so he said, what's wrong? They said, we dreamed dreams and there's no one to interpret them. So Joseph says, don't interpretations come from God? Tell me the dreams. And now, of course, Joseph was able to interpret the dreams. First, he heard the cupbearer's dreams about vines, branches, um, grapes and cups, which Joseph interpreted saying, within three days, you'll be giving Pharaoh his cup just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. Oh, and um, can you please put in a good word for me with Pharaoh? I've actually done nothing to deserve being put in jail. Next was the baker's dream about baskets, pastries and birds, which Joseph interpreted saying, within three days, Pharaoh will take off your head, impale you on a post and the birds will pick your bones clean. Sure enough, these things happened exactly as Joseph said. But the head cupbearer never gave Joseph another thought. He forgot all about him. Two years had passed, and now Pharaoh has a series of dreams. And you can see where this is heading. His dreams were about seven skinny cows eating seven fat cows and seven thin buds of grain swallowing up seven healthy buds of grain. And after sending for all the magicians and sages in Egypt to interpret these dreams, they could not. It was then that the head cupbearer spoke up and told Pharaoh about Joseph's track record on dream interpretations. Better late than never. So Joseph is brought in after a good scrub and a haircut and learns of Pharaoh's dream problem. Can you interpret it, says Pharaoh? Joseph answers, not I, but God. God will set Pharaoh's mind at ease. After hearing the dreams, Joseph said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's two dreams both mean the same thing. God is letting Pharaoh in on what he's going to do. Seven years of plenty are on their way throughout Egypt, but on their heels will come seven years of famine. The famine will be total, with nothing left to eat in all of Egypt. Joseph goes on with the solution to this impending famine. Pharaoh needs to look for a wise and experienced man to put him in charge of the country. Then, Pharaoh needs to appoint managers throughout the country of Egypt to organise it during the years of plenty. Their job will be to stockpile grain to be held back for the seven years of famine that are coming. This way, the country won't be completely devastated. Now, this seemed like a good idea to Pharaoh and his officials. And Pharaoh says, well... Isn't this the bloke that we need? Are we going to find anyone else who has God's spirit in him like this? So Pharaoh says to Joseph, you're the man for us. God has given you the inside story. No one is qualified as you in experience and wisdom. In fact, I'm putting you in charge of the entire country of Egypt. Then Pharaoh gave Joseph his ring, a cracking new outfit, a heap of bling, and gave him the car keys for the second Merc in the garage. 
And as he drove around, people shouted, Joseph, Joseph. Basically, 30-year-old Joseph was in charge of the entire country of Egypt. During the next seven years of plenty, the land produced bumper crops, which was stockpiled in cities. Joseph collected so much grain, it was like the sand of the ocean. And life was good. Joseph had two sons before the years of famine came. And Joseph named the firstborn Manasseh, meaning forget, saying, God made me forget all my hardships and my father's home. He named his second son Ephraim, meaning double prosperity, saying, God has prospered me in the land of my sorrow. Then, as predicted by Joseph, all countries experienced famine for seven years, and Egypt was the only country that had bread. And the people called out in distress to Pharaoh. He told the Egyptians, go to Joseph, do what he tells you. As the famine got worse and worse, Joseph opened the storehouses and sold emergency supplies to the Egyptians. The famine was really bad everywhere, and before long, the whole world was coming to buy supplies from Joseph. Good morning, new community. Great to be with you today. And Pete, thanks for your rendition. It's lovely to hear you retell the story. So today we're continuing with the theme of growing pains, Joseph, and today specifically forgotten. I have seen more graphs recently than I ever have. Graphs and charts and lines and flows and We've been talking about the the COVID pandemic and wanting to flatten the curve and there are charts everywhere. We continue to see them. But I wonder if you've ever done a chart of your own life. I wonder if you've ever charted the highs and the lows and the ups and the downs of your life in a timeline. Well, if I was to do that for Joseph, this is what it would look like. So we see that Joseph starts off as a favoured son gets a special coloured coat. His brothers aren't so keen about this favoured son, so they decide to do him in, throw him in a pit until some servants come by, or some slave traders come by, and they decide that they'll make a bit of money on the side. So they sell him, and off goes Joseph to Egypt. Well, Egypt Egypt seems to go okay for Joseph. He rises up in in uh, Potiphar's household as a leading servant and is doing really well for himself until Mrs. Potiphar gets a little bit in the way. Joseph does the right thing, but then ends up in prison. He again rises up in the ranks and becomes a bit of a manager within the prison scene and he helps out two guys that have crazy dreams. Joseph thinks that this might be his way out of prison, but yet he's forgotten again. And he remains in prison until eventually Pharaoh has this ridiculous dream. And then we see that Joseph is raised out of the prison into a high place of position, second in command. I wonder if you've ever been forgotten. I wonder if you've been a little bit like Joseph and perhaps family members have forgotten you or abandoned you. Maybe even your father, a parent, has forgotten all about you. I wonder in the times of Egypt if Joseph ever wondered why his father hadn't come looking for him, why his father hadn't hunted him down, 
After all, he was the favoured son. You see, Joseph didn't know that his brothers had told their father that he'd been killed by a wild beast as they held up his blood-stained coloured jacket. As I was doing some reading around this topic, the question was raised, why didn't Joseph send a postcard home to his father saying, hey, I'm okay, things are great? Perhaps it was because Joseph decided that his father no longer cared. His father had forgotten. Joseph didn't know the backstory, what his, son, his brothers had actually shared with his father. Have you ever been forgotten by a parent? I wonder if there were times too when Joseph said, Hey God, where are you? After all, wasn't it your dream? Wasn't that the dream that you gave me that I shared with my family and look what happened to me? And then his boss, I mean, he was, he was Potiphar's right hand man doing an incredible job and then suddenly he gets thrown into prison. Where's the recognition for all that hard work, for doing a job well? And suddenly he finds out he's in prison for doing the right thing. I wonder if again he said, God, where are you? Hey, God, I did the right thing here. Help me out. And then in prison, he does a favor for a mate. He interprets his dream and he says, by the way, when you get out of here, can you just remember me? Can you remind Pharaoh that I'm here and get me out of this place? But the friend forgets. I think if all of us reflect, we could find a time when actually we have felt forgotten too. A time, a time when we feel that maybe we've been abandoned, we've been overlooked, we've been forgotten, and that life hasn't gone quite the way that we want it to. I'm just going to do a little adjustment here. I'm getting a few signals. Is that better, guys? Great. I remember a time when I felt I'd missed out, I'd been forgotten. I'd just finished year 12 and I had applied for a university course that I knew I wanted to get into. It was my number one priority. And with this particular course, you had to do an interview and an audition. Well, I'd already done that. And it went really well. It actually went so well that they virtually guaranteed me a spot in this course before the official letter came out. Well, I wasn't too fast. I pretty well had my future planned and this is what was going to happen and where, where I was going to be. But the letter came out and I didn't get a place. And I remember being devastated, thinking that my life, the plan I had, everything that was mapped out was suddenly not going to go as planned. I felt forgotten. I felt abandoned. And I started to wonder what was my future going to look like. Well, I uh, rustled up a whole lot of courage and I actually went and knocked on the door of that university and said, hey, how come you forgot about me? I know I did a great audition and interview. We then found out that on my interview, I was Bronwyn Johnston, but on my official VCE, oh no, it wasn't VCE, it was HSC back then, on my official HSC form, I was Bronwyn Hamilton Johnston, the name on my birth certificate. And they said to me, you didn't apply. I said, I did, I know I did. And they found out that actually 
I was seen as two different people. Thankfully, I got a second round offer and my future got back onto the path that I had planned. But I remember being in that space just feeling like I had been overlooked and I had been completely forgotten. The truth is that God remembers. God doesn't forget. God remembers. And you may feel forgotten, but God can rewrite your story. However deep the pit, however horrible the prison, wherever that curve of your lifeline goes, God remembers and God can rewrite your story. But how do we survive those pits? How do we survive those terrible dips in our lives when we go to those lowest of low places? Now, I've never fallen into a pit and I've never fallen off a cliff. But my twin sister, Meg, has. She was in university and she'd gone on a trip with her outdoor education group up to Kakadu. And this was before Kakadu was a really popular tourist destination. It was still fairly remote. And they'd gone on this expedition and they'd hiked and uh, gone all through the different parts of Kakadu National Park. And they'd hit a day where they had no activities. It was a free day. And everybody was a little bit sick of each other, so they all sort of went off for a solo day. Meg says that she hiked up to this really quite high cliff and just had some time by herself. She had a backpack, she had some books, a journal and a few bits and pieces and spent a beautiful day watching the sun come up, looking at the view, hiking, and then it was time to head back to camp. She picked up all her belongings and the track she was walking on was really narrow. It was like a little goat's path. So the track was really close to the edge of the cliff. And for some reason, uh, in hindsight, she should have put her books in her backpack, but she didn't. She started walking back with her arms full of her bits and pieces, which meant she couldn't see her feet. And suddenly as she was walking down back to camp, her foot slipped, the cliff gave way, and she fell. And all she can remember thinking was, I think this is the end. My life's about to finish. But she also remembered that below there was some water. And in that moment that seems to extend, she suddenly thought, I must land upright because if I knock myself out, I'm likely to drown in the water below. So she did a flip, bounced off the side of the, the, the cliff, a rock, and landed in the water, suddenly waking up going, I'm alive. I'm not dead. I'm still alive. And she retells the story saying that she lay in that water just going, okay, what have I broken? And sort of moved an arm and then another arm and then another leg and went, okay, I think I'm all right. I'm a bit bruised. I'm a bit scratched. And managed to stand up. The water was only shallow and realized that she needed to get herself back to camp because nobody knew where she was and nobody would be able to find her. I wonder how do we survive when we fall into the pit. The first thing we need to do is we need to survive the fall. Sometimes when we fall into the pit or fall off a cliff, all we can do is survive. We just hang in there. We survive. In Genesis, it talks about the famine that was about to come in Egypt 
the famine would be so severe that even the memory of the good years would be erased. And we know from life experience, from looking around us, that there are times when life is so hard and so bad, all we can do is hang in there and just survive. I wonder in this COVID space if you feel like you're just surviving. You are just hanging in there, waiting to see what might happen next. The next thing we can do after we've survived, and perhaps like my sister, realising that she was alive and well and still had life to live, is to reflect. I noticed that when I did a bit of a graph of my, my life and I looked back in the dips and the highs and the lows, there were times that I looked back and I went, I wonder if I would do things differently. And there was one particular situation I looked back seven years ago and I went, gosh, if that happened now, I think I would do it really differently. As Joseph reflected, he said, I've done nothing wrong. And there are times in our lives when those dips are not due to anything that we've done. Through no fault of our own, we find ourselves in a really difficult situation. But reflection is a really good thing to do. It gives us opportunity to rethink, maybe opportunity to see things in a different perspective and an opportunity to grow. And we see that in the story of Joseph, he grows up, he certainly changes. The other thing we can do to survive the pit is to bring God into the picture. I love the fact that when Joseph was in prison, he must have been desperate to get out. And when suddenly Pharaoh has this terrible dream and his wise men and his magicians can't do anything about it, they don't know what it means. And then suddenly the cupbearer turns up and goes, hey, hey, I remember there was this guy in prison with me. He can interpret dreams. I wonder if Joseph had the tendency to go, yep, that's me, I can do it, get me out of here. But we actually see that Joseph honours God. He said, as Pharaoh says to him, I've heard that you can interpret a dream. Joseph says, "Uh uh-uh, I can't do it, but God can. God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. And here we see that Joseph puts God back into the picture and reminds Pharaoh it is not him, but it's God. When Pharaoh sees that Joseph can not only interpret the dream, but can also give him a plan of action, a risk management description, and basically packages the future of Pharaoh and Egypt, Pharaoh says to the crew around him, can we find anyone like this man? Is there anyone in whom the spirit of God? There was something about Joseph that people saw that was good and it was the spirit of God it was God was with him and his spirit was upon him and instantly Pharaoh said I want him as my right hand man I need this guy on my team because the spirit of God was upon him I wonder if there's places in your story where you need to bring God back into the picture Maybe you've never had God in your story. Maybe you've never even considered that God cares. Maybe you feel that God's forgotten you. You can invite God back into the picture 
back into your story. Or maybe you're somebody who's journeyed with God in the past, but something happened and you gave up on God because you felt that he'd forgotten you. Perhaps it's time to rewrite him back into your story, to invite him back in. And all that means is saying a simple prayer. Maybe it's God help. God, if you're there, can you show up? I need to know you're here. God, can you give me direction? God, can you give me wisdom? God, can you give me peace? All of this is just a simple prayer to cry out to God. Because God's there. He remembers. He never forgets. God does rewrite Joseph's story. He was always there and he rewrites his story. We see that in this time of plenty when Joseph is gathering grain to save it up for the years of famine, we see that Joseph has two sons and their names are amazing, intriguing actually. His first son is named Manasseh, which means God has made me forget all my trouble in my father's household. From a teenager who felt that everybody had forgotten him, he now has a son that reminds him that actually he wasn't forgotten, but his heartache could be forgotten. He then has another son whose name is Ephraim, and his name means God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Joseph could care to believe that God could make him fruitful, even in the heartache and even in the pain. And I love the fact too that not only is Joseph's story rewritten, but so is the story of his brothers, the nation Egypt and the surrounding countries as well. You see, when God rewrites our lives, he doesn't just rewrite it for us personally. He rewrites it for a broken world. So people looking on can see an amazing God. God gives Joseph and Pharaoh an incredible plan And he actually saves his people because it says that all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was so severe everywhere. So by God being within Joseph in his life, he managed to save the world around him. God's God's work in our lives is far bigger than just us. He has a bigger plan for us to impact our world for good. I wonder if you would like to invite God into your story to make an impact not just in your life but also in those around you. I'd like to share a story with you that I've shared before but it is so impactful to me and it reminds me that God is there. He remembers. About uh, six years ago I was teaching grade one and I had a little girl come to me with a gift in her hand in in a scrunched up tissue She said, Mrs. Arnott, Mrs. Arnott, this is for you. And I said, really? She goes, yeah, I found it. I found it. And I unwrapped this scrumpled up little bit of tissue paper and in it was a little silver cross on a piece of string. And I said, oh, it's beautiful. She said, I found it. I went to the playground and it was on the footpath and I left it there because I thought it might be somebody else's. But after playing at the playground, I came back and it was still there. So I thought I could have it. And I've brought it for you. Well, at this stage, I tried to encourage her that perhaps I didn't need it, that it was very lovely that she found it for me, but she could keep it. You keep it. 
She goes, no, Mrs. Arnott, it's for you. You've got to have it. And I couldn't find any string, so my babysitter helped me put a bit of dental floss around it so that you could wear it. And she handed me this beautiful little cross. It wasn't valuable, but it was beautiful, on a bit of dental floss. So I put it around my neck because that's what she wanted me to do. Now, this little girl had incredible tragedy. When she started prep, she'd had the most incredible loss in her life. So she was a little girl that I kept my eye out for at school because she needed that extra encouragement. Well, as I had that little cross around my neck, it was recess and I went down to my office and just checked my phone to notice I had a message from a supervisor, my chaplaincy supervisor, to tell me that I'd just lost my job as a chaplain in another school. I was devastated. I was heartbroken. This was a job that I loved and suddenly it had gone. And I felt that I went boom, straight down into that pit. But as I picked up that little necklace, that little cross on a piece of dental floss, I was reminded that actually God was already in the pit. He was there waiting for me before I even fell. And it was a reminder to me that God was there And God remembered, and it was going to be okay. He was going to rewrite that story, maybe not in the way I expected, but it was going to be rewritten. That story continues, and that same little girl graduated from primary school last year. And I often wore that cross. I put it on a chain rather than the dental floss, and I'd often see her at school and just go, remember this? Well, when she graduated from primary school, as I told her, I took that cross off, And I gave it to her as a little graduation gift. I gave it back. And I said to her, I said, I want you to wear this. I'm not going to see you as often anymore. You're going to high school. But I want you to remember that God remembers. And God's with you in the ups and downs of life. Don't forget, God remembers. Please join me as I pray. Dear God, you are so good. You never forget us. You always remember. In the deepest of pits and the highest of highs, you were there with us, rewriting our story for our benefit and for the benefit of those around us. Thank you, God, that you put your spirit within us to be a reflection of you in our broken world that needs to see hope. Thank you, God. Amen.